word says that where two or more are gathered, that you are there. And so, God, as we just sang that song, would we be overcome by the presence of you here? May we understand that you are in this place, that you are with us, that we are the temple that you live in. If we are a believer in Christ, we are a temple with, with which you live in. And God, that we are spoken to through the power of your spirit. So God, today as we dig more into marriage and, and, and the, 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 the chaos and cruelty of, of relationships at times, God, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 29. I'm going to warn you. Uh, matter of fact, when I told my wife I was going to be preaching out of Genesis 29, which is the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel, she said, can you get any more weird or complicated a passage when it comes to marriage? Because for those of you who don't know about Jacob and Leah and Rachel, it really is kind of an awkward um, situation that's in. But I want to ask you this question, and today's sermon title is Love Is. Love is a word we throw around with carelessness and disregard, and we love to use love to describe all kinds of things, like, I love the Broncos. Now, Mark, Mark made me this chair. He found this chair, and he's like, man, this is perfect for Brian, and he brought it in this morning. So I promise you I won't torture you too often. But this chair may join me on stage every now and then. So I won't make you look at it right now. Okay, so <laughs> anyways, but we do. We, we use love to, 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 to throw, or we throw around love really to describe all kinds of things. We love pizza. I love Cheesecake Factory. It's one of the favorite places we like to go. We don't go very often, about once a year, maybe twice if we get a gift card or something like that. But we, we love to go to Cheesecake Factory. There, there are things I love to do. I love baseball. As a matter of fact, there is nothing that thrills my soul more when it comes to earthly things than the fact that baseball's back. Because last night I was watching on TV, Major League Baseball is back, and I'm getting updates on my phone through ESPN on the Rockies and the Royals. Now, for those of you who are Royals fans, which I am a Royals fan, um, be prepared. This year may be a struggle. So, I love things like that. But when we use the word love, love is oftentimes used to describe all kinds of things that don't really, we really may not truly love. Love is, in the words of Boston, more than a feeling. Or in the words of air, air supply, you might be all out of love. Yeah. Or maybe it's even better described by Billy Joel. In just the way you are. get out and start dancing, but we all know we're a Baptist church, so that doesn't happen. So, hey, here, here's the thing that we want to dig down to. Genesis chapter 29. I want you to understand a number of things. Number one, love is not a feeling or an emotion, all right? A lot of times we get caught up in more than a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It's, it's a res, result of my feelings, but love cannot solely based, be based upon a feeling because here's what happens in love. When I solely base it upon a feeling, then when things go bad, 
what happens to my love? It usually goes out the door. In other words, things become chaotic and hectic. As a matter of fact, my wife is going to be joining me, but things become chaotic and hectic. And when I get a, a, a crazy feeling inside, like when, my, when, when, when I first meet the, the woman of my dreams, and you get that, you know what I'm talking about, men, the, the butterfly effect, you know, like the, the weird, like, okay, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I got to act. You, you get that. That's this, this feeling we get. But love is not a feeling. Love is to feel a certain way and then act as a result of that feeling. Love, if we know love, love is a verb, not a noun. And a verb means what? Action. Love played out in the relationships that I'm in is always an action word, not a feeling. And feelings, and and here's the thing I want you to understand. I say this a lot. My wife and I talk about it a lot, but I believe that the feelings, the emotions are the playground for Satan. Because anytime you let feelings and emotions dictate what you do, whether it's to choose to make a decision, when you let feelings and emotions dictate what you do or how you're gonna go through a process, a lot of times you're gonna set yourself up for failure. Why? Because at a certain time I may feel a certain way and it could just be the gas from the pizza. (laughs) But I feel a certain way so I make a certain decision. And you're going to set yourself up for failure if you solely base everything off a feeling. Why? Because words take action. And love, remember this, love is a reflection of the love of God first and foremost in everything that we do. And so before we read Genesis 29, I want to give you some background of what's going on. In Genesis chapter 27, we begin to understand what's going on in the story. Uh, In Genesis chapter 27, Jacob and Esau were brothers. And Jacob and Esau were sons of Isaac and Rebekah, all right? And Esau was the oldest, so Esau had the birthright. He was supposed to get the birthright. And so, uh, What's his name? Yeah, so I'm going blank here. Uh, sorry, Isaac is about to die and he sends his son to go out and, and he's gonna kill some game, bring it back and he's gonna then give Esau the birthright, the blessing from the father. Well, in the meantime, Rebecca hears it. She tells her son Isaac, hey, go kill a couple young goats. We're, I'm gonna prepare the meal just exactly the way your father wants it. And then we're gonna cover you with the goat skin and your father's gonna think you're Esau and he'll give you the blessing. And so there's this, this deception going on in order for Jacob to become somebody that Esau was supposed to really be at that point. In other words, the one that gets the blessing. And so as a result, that's what happens. And Esau comes back to get the blessing and the father is like, I already gave it to, I guess, your brother because... I don't know who else I could have given it to. And it makes Esau mad. As a matter of fact, Esau's so mad, he says he's going to kill his brother, which now sends Jacob on the run. Jacob's kind of like a little weenie. Jacob's like, oh, I did something wrong. I'm just going to run. I'm going to get out of the problem. He, and he runs for his life. In the midst of running for his life, his, his, his mother talks to his father and he says, hey, I don't want my son to marry any of these Canaanite women, so he would have been unequally yoked. I want him to marry somebody from our family. So he goes to his uncle's house and he meets his uncle's daughters, his cousins, basically. And on the way there, he runs into these shepherds at a well. And at the well, um, he's talking to these shepherds. They haven't pulled the, the massive stone off the well yet to feed their sheep. They're waiting and here comes Rachel. Now, Rachel's smoking hot. 
It's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> you said, well, no, I'll say it. I, mean, I got to claim that. I got to say that. But, but, and I'm not disagreeing at all. I'm just not trying to put you all in an awkward situation because I don't want you to think my wife's hot. I want to think my wife's Ooh, hot. And that's the way it is. So, yeah, sorry. It's, it's over. Brownie points are gone. <laughs> but, but listen, he comes to the well and he's talking to these shepherds and these guys, they, they, these, these shepherds haven't moved the stone themselves. And Rachel, being hot, who moves the stone? This is kind of one of those deals that guys kind of bow up on, right? <laughs> yeah, Jacob. Jacob's like, these three dudes haven't done it. I'll do it. So he shows off in front of Rachel. In the meantime, he introduces himself to her, kind of being weird. He goes up and he kisses her. I mean, that would be kind of weird. You just meet a dude at a well, and he kisses her. But I want you to understand something. I believe that God's word wants to teach us something, and that's how God works in the lives of people who are broken, sinners, who need to be saved by God's grace, who need to overcome or who need their sin to be overcome by a God who is gracious and merciful and shows them he has a direction for their life. That's what we have to begin to understand. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 29, starting in in the middle of verse 14, and it says this, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, this is with his father-in-law Laban, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? And I'm kind of thinking, heck no, I shouldn't work for you for nothing. You need to pay me my dues. And so his uncle says, tell me your wages, what, what, what your wages should be. And listen to what happens. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. That's, that's a quick way of saying Leah was ugly, Rachel was hot. And I'm going to explain that here in just a little bit. So we're going to, we're going to jump into that. But listen to what happens in verse 18. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I will work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. We're going to stop there and we're going to jump into this. I want you to understand anything. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. That true love lived out in a marriage relationship leads us to experience greater intimacy with God and our spouse. I want you to understand that. True love lived out in a marriage relationship leads me into a deeper, greater intimacy with God and with my spouse. Your marriage with your spouse will never be as good as your marriage with God. If your marriage with God or your relationship with God is a certain way, your marriage is going to be that way. That's what you have to begin to understand. Your marriage relationship is a direct reflection of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you wanna experience joy and peace and excitement, forgiveness, grace, and mercy in the midst of everything that goes on, your marriage relationship is a direct reflection of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So here's my question for the day. What is love then? What is it? And number one we say is this, marriage is a labor of love. That's what marriage represents. Marriage is a labor of love. Now, when I say the word labor, what do you think? (laughs) Bingo. Marriage takes what? Relationships take work. 
In every situation, we have to understand that marriage is a labor of love. And I told you right from the start that we were gonna explain a couple things, and I do have to explain some things really quick. In verse 17, it said, Leah had weak eyes. Now, there are a number of ways we can go with this. There are some commentators and people who believe that Leah having weak eyes meant she was either cross-eyed or maybe she had a lazy eye or something like that. But I also want you to know that there are a number of other things that also come up because the term Leah, we don't have a meaning in Hebrew, but if we go back to the spoken language as Akkadian and Aramaic and Arabic back then, do you know what the term Leah means? Wild cow. And I'm not joking. The term Leah means wild cow. Now, that's Akkadian, Arabic, and Aramaic. But do you know what Rachel means? It means a ewe, a sheep. If you know anything about biblical terms, what you begin to understand is this. All throughout Song of Solomon and even in Proverbs, a sheep is a beautiful animal. For some reason, all right, I'm not going to tell you men to go home and do this, but you will see things in Song of Solomon like this. Your teeth were as beautiful as a sheep shorn. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's the next greatest pickup line. <laughs> you have the most beautiful teeth. It's like a sheep that has been shorn. But for them, it was a beautiful symbol. It was, a, it was something that represented beauty. And I want you to begin to understand as we look at this, this is just kind of laying the picture that Leah was not necessarily the most beautiful woman in the world. But according to what we see in scripture, Rachel, it says that Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now, I don't know what that means in your mind, but what I'm picturing or what I'm thinking is this woman was probably one of the smoking hot women in the Middle East. Everybody looked at Rachel and went, wow, this lady is something. And Jacob had fallen in love with her. And we're going to see that here in just a second. But I want you to begin to understand that there are multiple descriptions of beautiful women in the Bible where they are compared to sheep. And I don't know why. I don't understand the big picture, but I do understand this, that women, you can never underestimate the incentive you are to your husband. Women, you can never underestimate the incentive you are to a man if you are single. How you look, how you dress says something. And I'll even say this from a, from a modesty standpoint, or whatever you want to call it. How you dress says something. <laughs> Let me re reiterate that. How you dress says something to other people. Now listen, I'm all for the responsibility of the man to keep his hands off, to not, to, to not go after and do things that he is not entitled to. But I want you to also understand this, ladies. Please hear me on in this. That it is your responsibility as well not to keep other believers or not to help other believers stumble into what's going on. So there is a modesty thing that, that takes place. But you have to begin to understand that marriage is a labor of love. And listen, we're gonna unpack this. I already talked about it. But verse 18, it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and he said, I will work for you for how many years? Now, how many of you guys would go to your father-in-law prior to being married and say, hey, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me your daughter? I'm just curious. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm just trying to throw myself into that situation. I love Sarah's parents, but could you imagine working for your father-in-law for seven years to earn the right to marry the daughter? 
But that's a great picture of what takes place in marriage because marriage in any relationship, when you're looking at going into marriage, is a labor of love. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes investment, it takes time, it takes money. All of those things go into it. And Jacob was willing to work at the love that he had. Why? Because he wanted Rachel. He loved her so much, he wanted Rachel. Matter of fact, there's a verse in the Bible, Matthew chapter 24, that says, as a result of the wickedness that's going on in the world today, the love of most will grow cold. And what I want you to begin to understand, what I want you to see is that marriage is a labor of love where love can't grow cold. Love has to grow steady, stronger, and hotter. Why? Because that is what God wants. It needs to be a labor of love in your marriage relationship for it to stand the test of time. So I ask you this question, men, let your wife know she is worth working for. I still stand by this. I still believe this, that Christians should be the hardest workers. But I also believe that Christian men should be the ones who are going, bending over backwards to show their wife that, she, that he would work for her, he would die for her, he would sacrifice himself for her. Because that's the calling. Husbands, you are to love your wives like Christ loved the church. And if I do that, that means that I sacrifice myself for my wife. I have to be the one who is willing to work on it. And I'll even say this. Are you willing to invest in your marriage? Are you willing to be the one who puts the first foot forward to do that, to step out and to carry the marriage relationship, to say, hey, we need to go to a marriage conference or we need to go to marriage counseling or we need to be about these things in our marriage because those are what takes place. But men, you have to let your wife know she is worth working for that you would do anything for her. So, I asked my wife to speak to a couple of things, and I've done this in the past. I don't think we did it last year. I don't know that she's the biggest fan of it, but there are certain things that wives can speak to that husbands just can't. Or maybe if I spoke on it, you might be like, whatever, bro. I don't need to listen to you, all right? But I want you to understand what it means to work on a marriage. Well, from, from a wife's perspective, um, it's not just in the big things. Uh, the marriage is, is the work of a marriage is in the details. And um, in the marriage conference that we did this, this weekend, I love um, what Paul David Tripp said. It's made up of a million different details. It's not, um, oh, let me just do this wonderful, amazing, awesome thing. And, you know, you woo your girlfriend to want to marry you and then you you know, come up with this big proposal and everything is wonderful. And then as soon as she says yes, then you're like, whew, okay, I'm done. I don't need to do anything else. That'd be easy. And, and I think that a lot of times we, we get mixed up in thinking that, oh, well, it's the big things that we need to do when really it's all of the little intricate things that we need to do, you know, right notes to each other on, in a dry erase marker on the, on the bathroom mirror. Which um, we do. It's kind of weird. Occasionally. Every now and then. Yeah. Our, our, <laughs> our kids will come in and they'll be like, what, what the heck is that? Why is that? Too? Uh, Cause we do. We'll write a note. But I mean that, that's one thing that, that is just super easy. It takes 30 seconds to, to do that. And it doesn't have to be anything, you know, complicated. It can just be 
hey, have a great day, or I love you, or I appreciate you, or whatever. And and I think that, um, I mean, that's not everybody's strong point, but I think we have to look for ways um, that we can show our love in all of the details from day to day, because life can get in the way, well, and you and can looking get busy. For, looking for ways to show love that speaks to your wife. Like, my wife knows the way that speaks to my heart is like, buy tickets to the Royals game. <laughs> like, I'm golden. You buy me tickets to the Royals game, we're, we're, we're like, this is, it's on. So it's a little more difficult during, uh, yeah, yeah, when, when baseball's, baseball's not, not around, going it's like, yeah, on. But, but, and here's the thing that I begin to think, because marriage, if, if marriage is a labor of love, you have to begin to understand this. Number one, we developed our relationship over distance. She was out in Indiana. I was living in Springfield, well, Bolivar, going to school. We, we, we met in New Mexico. If you guys want to hear our story, we'll tell you later. But we met in New Mexico, and we, we developed over a year. We developed our relationship over distance, and it took time. It took work. It took uh, communication. We talked about a lot of things. And, and I don't think it should take a literal distance necessarily to make us uh, see that you need to communicate. But oftentimes, that's what ends up happening. This is one of the things I was. Uh, deal with when, when you deal with dating. A lot of times dating, what do you do? It's like you go to a movie. Why do you go to a movie on a date? Because you never talk. You sit there and you watch a movie and later you go home. I mean, and that's one of those things in a dating situation that you, you begin to look at. So being in the same room doesn't mean that you're close. Just like being distant doesn't mean that you're far apart. You have to begin to work on the, the marriage. And, and, and I believe this is one of the things we begin to understand is that Jesus' work on the cross accomplished everything we need to have that covenant relationship with him. And so when I say that marriage is a labor of love, you have to begin to understand this, that God's love was the first and foremost love that took place. And he's done all the work to make everything right already. All I have to do is put my faith and trust in him. So the work is done on that extent with my relationship with Christ. But that doesn't mean I stop working on my relationship with my wife. I know lots of great men who are great theologians who are terrible husbands because they've approached things differently and you can't approach it differently. You have to have a balance. So marriage is a labor of love. Number two, what is love? I believe this, that love grows stronger over time. Listen to what we talked about. He said, I'll work for you seven years and return for your younger daughter, Rachel. That's a long time. I mean, I don't know, most people, seven years is like, holy cow. And I know from statistics, they're saying that the, 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 the engagement period has been longer. Um, ours wasn't very long. Matter of fact, from the day we met to the day we got married was a year and one day. So we were engaged after four months. I knew it was on. Um, you know, after I cleared two months with her, I had never dated a girl longer than two months. When I cleared two months, <laughs> I remember going home and telling my mom, I, I met the girl in my dreams. I met my wife. She's like, how do you know? And I was like, well, you just know. And I used to get mad at my mom because I would ask her that question. How'd you know when you and dad were getting married? Oh, you just know. And I'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And it was, it was just one of those things I just knew. But number two is this, that love grows stronger over time. Love is not an annoyance or a distraction, love is worth the work. And Jacob worked for seven years to get Rachel. And listen to what it says real quick. I will work for seven years in return for your younger daughter. In verse 19, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served uh, seven years to get Rachel. But listen to what it says. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. 
Seven years seemed only like a few days. Now we've been married 17. And to me, it does seem like only a few days because it's gone so stinking fast. All right? But you may be the type of individual or person who's what I would call you believe you're stuck in a marriage. And what I'm asking you is this. Has your love grown stronger over time or has your love grown colder over time? And I think that one of the things is is that we think that that's a natural occurrence, that love grows stronger over time. I mean, that sounds great, but whenever you start really living it in the day-to-day, sometimes you can just be glorified roommates. Um, I, I think of the example of um, equity in a house. You can buy a house, you can live in it, but what's the natural progression whenever you move into a house? Things break, things wear down, things are not all shiny and new that they used to be whenever you moved in. And so you have to put in that time, you have to put in money, you have to put in effort, you have to put in work to get that house to, to stay looking good or it's just gonna break down over time. And I think that uh, sometimes we go into that re- marriage relationship and we think, oh, it's smooth sailing from here. Well, that's just not the way that it works. Um, <laughs> it's a lot harder. <laughs> just like with a house, if you put money into it, if you put time and energy and effort into it, you're going to get what is called equity, which means that you have an investment in that. And so you're getting something, you're getting a rate of return out of that house. And in the same way, if I invest in our relationship, if he invests in our relationship, if we spend time and money and and an effort, we give effort um, to build that relationship, we will also have equity. And I think that if you work on that as the years go by, that's when you see your love growing stronger. I mean, whenever we were all doughy-eyed over each other, um, when we were engaged and everything, oh, everything's so wonderful and perfect. Doughy-eyed? And, Is that and like whatever. a deer dough? Yeah, because, you know, the dough. deer just kind of... <laughs> okay. Mm. I was like, uh, but, all I could think is Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, the difference between a man and a woman. He's okay. thinking with his stomach. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we think, oh, there's no way that I could love them more, you know, later. I just love them with all mm-hmm. of my heart. Um, and at that time, you actually think that that is the case. But I think that as you go through the ups and you go through the downs and you have um, trials that you work through together, that, that makes your bond so much closer and there's so much more um, love. And your love is more than just something that's superficial of that feeling. It is a deeply rooted choice um, that you continue to make day after day. Yeah. And, and I, what, what we have to begin to understand from what we see in God's word is that they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. His love for her was so strong that he was willing to do whatever. That's the sacrifice that we're talking about. That's the sacrifice that Jesus said, I am willing to do whatever it is. I will work for seven years. And he worked for seven years, waiting patiently for his wife, waiting patiently for the one that he was going to marry. And matter of fact, it gets down to verse 21. It says, then Jacob said to Laban, I love the, I mean, it's like, now he's getting kind of short. Because listen to what he says. Give me my wife. Like, hey, not, 
I, I would like my wife now. It's like, no, you give me my wife. I've done work by seven years. This contract is up. My time is completed. And listen to what he says. What's he say? And I want to lie with her. All right? So we're going we're gonna to hit that here in a little bit. But I want to talk about something just real quick. God's love was as deep and as strong as it could have ever been when he went to the cross. Jesus doesn't love you any more or any less now than he did when he went to the cross. Jesus' love was fulfilled or God's love was fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. And so we have to begin to understand that love grows stronger with time in a human relationship, but God's love doesn't grow stronger because it's already to the height of the highest love that anything could ever be given. And so God's love was the strongest at that point. And when we understand that God's love was as deep and as strong as it ever could be, then we can understand that there is nothing that God could do to ever love you any more or any less because he's already done it. So when we begin to understand that love goes stronger over time between a human relationship, you can also understand this, that your love with Christ can go stronger over time as you invest in that relationship as well. Number three, what is love? I believe it is this, that love overcomes all kinds of obstacles. Every difficulty, every struggle, every problem. As a matter of fact, I find it ironic if you think about this. Jacob deceives his father into believing he's his brother. And then what happens to Jacob? <laughs> it's like you reap what you sow, bro. Jacob gets deceived by who? His uncle. His uncle deceives him because Jacob deceives his blind father and Jacob thinks he's going to have all the happiness. Jacob thinks he's got everything together and what does he get? He gets disappointment because listen to what happens in verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. In other words, this is the party of all parties. But when everything, or sorry, when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob and Jacob laid with her and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter and as her maidservant. And when morning came, there was Leah. Like, can you imagine the shock? Like you roll over to see your hot wife and you're waking up next to the wild cow. You're like, what the heck is going on? And I know that comes across harsh and I know that this is something that people are like, man, this is in the Bible? Are you kidding me? But this is the deception that takes place. And here's the, the, the thing that we can begin to look and understand is this. This story should show us all the more the need for Jesus' death on the cross. Because deception and sin runs rampant in every relationship we have, including your marriage relationships. Your husband or your wife is going to fail you at some point. They're going to do something or say something, unless you're me, of course, that, that never offends anybody, right? Right, right. Yeah, we yes. never... Yes, we honey, never, you are never offensive. We, <laughs> we never argue. We never... Yeah, so... But listen... Jacob thinks he's going to have all the happiness and all he gets is disappointment. And listen to me, that to me reflects marriage. Because with the happiness comes what? Disappointment. There are sad times. There are difficult times. There are obstacles you're going to run into that are going to be tough. They're going to be hard. And the sad thing is, guys, look, guys want to fix everything, right? When your wife comes to you and wants to talk, and what do you want to do? I could fix this. Well, I don't want you to fix it. Well, then why are we talking about it? 
If you don't want me to fix it, let's not talk about it. But I want you to begin to understand what, ta- what, what happens when love overcomes obstacles. When you get involved in a relationship, your expectations are one thing, but you may feel like you woke up with Leah. You may feel at times that you woke up with Leah. You may feel like you woke up to the disappointment. And I think that happens in marriage a lot of times. Our worst year of marriage was year five. I have no clue why. It just seemed like everything came crashing down. We argued constantly. Ethan was born. We had a child. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that was it. But I mean, there was a number of things. There was a lot of transition. We moved, we, moved, we took a new job. She had a new job. It was just, it was chaos. And year five was torturous. I felt like all we did was argue. And she could tell you that. It was like, argue, 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 argue. And at some point, I don't know what happened, but we finally maybe got our head screwed on straight. I don't know. Ethan finally started sleeping at night. That might have been it. But, but listen, there are always going to be disappointments. In other words, there are always going to be Leah's in your marriage. You're going to roll over one day. And it may be a Leon. Or Leon, whatever. <laughs> It's not just, not just always the I'm not, the I'm not trying to use the, the girl image. I'm trying to say, look, there are going to be times where you're going to right. be disappointed. Right. In what, you're going to be disappointed in your spouse. I'm sure there are multiple times, I could, probably uncountable times, that I disappointed Sarah. And those are things we begin to understand. Why? Because it's, there's always going to be a Leah there. There's always going to be these disappointments. And so when you're tempted to feel disappointed, you have to choose to live out the love that God gives you for that person. Because look, they're going to fail you. They're not God. She's not God. I'm not God. And I can't live out a perfect relationship. I'm going to have bad days. Right? A few here. <laughs> so, so begin to think about that because no matter what your hopes for marriage, no matter what your hopes for love, no matter what your hopes for a career or anything else like that, you're going to face disappointments and struggles as a couple. That's the truth. And, and when those struggles and disappointments come up, that is when you have to tap into the choice, not the warm fuzzies. That's when your warm fuzzies say... Kick him to the curb. That's when you have to tap into the choice and say, I choose to love you in spite of the way that you're treating me or the way that you've done, you know, A, B, or C over here. I choose to love you uh, because there are so many times that I've given God a reason not to love me and he chooses to love me in spite of that. And so I think that real sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated through his life, his death, his burial and resurrection is best um, shown in that marriage relationship whenever we do choose to love over, um, you know, going with what the world says. Well, the world says, yeah, he, he hurt you. He keeps hurting you. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. He's selfish. Leave. Um, and, and I think that that's when we have to shut out the world and we have to say, no, this is a choice. This is a covenant relationship. This is not a contract that I can break. This is a covenant relationship like my relationship with Christ that will not and cannot be broken. Yeah. And, and I think here's the thing that you begin to understand is that God uses insecure people. God uses people who are broken. God uses people who are sinners in your relationship 
to teach you his love. And, and listen, I, I, I say that this type of love, this unconditional love, you have to remember this, this unconditional love. When God is using the term love, he talks agape love. All right. A lot of times we get into phileo love, which is like brotherly love. Like if I say, man, I love you, man, you know, you're my brother. That's, that's one thing. Then there's eros love, which is an erotic love, a sexual love. That's one thing. But God's love is an unconditional love. It's an agape love that's carried out. And when our marriage relationships reflect that in your relationships, when, you're ref- when your relationships reflect an unconditional love, in other words, it's not based upon the circumstances you're in, I love this person regardless. So when I roll over and wake up to Leah, I still love Leah. Because that's the unconditional love that is played out. And we begin to see this. The greatest obstacle ever overcome, ever overcome, was the sin in our lives. And we have to begin to understand that, that the sin in our lives and the death that we faced as a result of sin that Christ overcame on the cross is the greatest obstacle we could face. All of the other things that we're facing together as couples, as individuals, as people who are in relationships, those are small. But why do we make them so big? Why do we blow them out of a proportion? Because that's our nature. That's called the sin nature. It's called selfishness. And I always... I always whenever we do marriage counseling, because we tend to do it as a team, um, I always say that molehills become mountains after you're married. And um, mountains become things, Mount Everest. Yeah, I, it's, you know, things that were cute or, you know, that you think, oh, well, that's nice, you know, become like the thing that you want to claw their eyeballs out over. <laughs> um, after, you, after you're actually in that relationship, it's like, okay, this is not cute anymore. Can we like move past this? Yeah. So, and then this is the last thing. What is love? Number four, true love is the root of intimacy. Listen to what takes place. Um, he rolled over. He, he realized what's going on in verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? A matter of fact, that may be something you would say to your wife. What are you doing to me? Or your husband, what have you done to me? Look at what you've done to me. Matter of fact, I think you said that once or twice when you were pregnant. I'm not for sure, but I'm pretty sure that that was one of those things. But, but listen to what he says. I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then I will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Now, what did we say? Marriage or love takes work. Listen to what's going to happen. Okay, fine. You get Rachel as well. But now you got to work for me another what? So he's going to get Rachel, and he's going to work for his father while he's married to Rachel, and that's exactly what happened. And so Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. And listen to what happens in verse 30. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Listen, true love In other words, unconditional, uncompromised love for your spouse, for the person that you are going to marry, is the root of intimacy. We could give you all kinds of steps to have an intimate relationship. Look, there's all kinds of things. You go to GQ magazine, you can read Men's Health, you can read all of these things that want to talk about steps to an intimate relationship with your spouse, your significant other, and things like that. But true love, an unconditional love, is always the root for intimacy. If you want to have an intimate, meaningful relationship with your husband and wife, it's based upon an unconditional love 
that says, I will sacrifice for you. I will selflessly give to you. I will help overcome obstacles together because we know that we can do this. Jacob's love for Rachel leads him to want to be with her physically. That's a natural thing. I can guarantee you that that is not what you're going to be finding in men's health and GQ. That is not what they're going to say. No. So... Don't be consulting those places for wisdom on your relationship. The best place you can go to wisdom with your relationship is the Bible. Well, and, and, and how, listen, <laughs> we talk about communication, right? We talk about work, a man's job. You work, you work at the relationship. You, look, you spend 8, 10, 12, maybe some 14, 16 hours a day at work, and you come home, and you don't want to what? Talk. You don't want to talk. But let me ask you this question. If you want to have an intimate relationship with your wife, is it worth the time to talk? Yes. Because she needs to know that her emotions, her feelings, her hurts, her desires, her loves, her excitement are being heard by you. So true intimacy or true love is the root of intimacy. If you love your wife, if you love your husband, then you learn to communicate with them in a way that makes sense. Husbands, you need to know that the way you treat your wife will have an effect on what goes on in the bedroom. I mean, that's just common sense. At least I think it is. I hope it is. It should be. True love is the root of intimacy. And romance, listen, romance is the art of studying each other for the purpose of pleasing each other. Do you study your wife? Listen, like I said, I love baseball. I can walk, talk, eat, sleep, breathe, baseball. Like when somebody tells me they hate baseball, you know what my first words are out to them? You don't know baseball. If you knew baseball, there's no way baseball would be boring to you. Because you have to understand all the intricacies and the details and every little thing that goes on in baseball. All the behind the scenes stuff, all the stuff that players are doing and shifting in the fields and how pitchers are being a certain way. That's studying baseball. But my question is this, do you study your wife? And I'm not just talking about her physical appearance. Do you study your wife? Do you listen to what your wife says? Do you communicate with her? Do you show her love? Do you do the small things that will make a difference? Because I am convinced of this, that most men want something in the bedroom that they're not willing to give outside the bedroom. Do you get that picture? Most men want something in the bedroom when they're not willing to give the extra effort to love their wives in the way they should love them. If there is no emotional intimacy for the wife, there will be no true physical intimacy for the husband. And, and it's not that you can't both have both, but those tend to be the directions that, that we're wired. Women tend to be more emotional. Men te- tend to be more driven by the physical. But there has to be a both for there to be a connection on all of those levels. And it kind of makes me laugh whenever he talks about studying stuff, you know. Because I'm the worst, I'm telling you. We'll be, you know, having a conversation. I'll say, hey, you know, I told you about blah, 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 blah. And he'll say, no, you didn't. Uh, Yeah, I can tell you you where we were standing when we had this conversation. And I don't remember it And you looked at me and said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. So... 
Uh, I, I have the worst time trying to buy her gifts because I never know what to get her. And because be I like, don't ever hint. She doesn't hint. I just don't pay attention. I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm just telling you because she'll drop hints. I never remember them. So now I got my cell phone. And when I hear something, guess what I do? Notes. I heard her say that because I'll forget. I'm telling you right now. And so that's the thing that she's talking about. Like, I, I am the worst at that. Matter of fact, if you come up to me on a Sunday morning and tell me anything on Sunday morning, I'm just telling you tomorrow it's gone. Just it doesn't even you. last till tomorrow. It might not it's be like, tomorrow. Sarah it's like may one come o'clock home. in the afternoon yeah. and it's Sarah it's may gone. come to me and say, hey, what did such and such talk to you? Oh, they didn't talk to me. Yeah, they did. They were standing right at the door. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember. So I'm, don't take that wrong. Not tr- it's not that I don't care. It's just one of those things that, that ends up coming on. You have to learn to study the person you are married to. Learn to, to study who they are, what they like, what's going on, and things like that. And so if you want what is, is physically going on in your relationship to be more than merely physical, if you want there to be true intimacy and uh, a true connection, there has to be that emotional connection as well. Otherwise, it's, uh, it merely is just a physical act of, of what's taking place. Yeah. And so here, here's my challenge to us today, church, is that in order to understand what true love is, we have to know that true love lived out in a marriage relationship leads us, listen, to experience a greater intimacy with God and with our spouse. And here's the reason why. We are able to experience a greater intimacy with God because marriage is a direct reflection of God's relationship with the church. So husbands, if I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loved the church, then I respond in a certain way. And so to truly experience God's grace to understand God's mercy and forgiveness, to have a deep, intimate relationship with him. I have to grow in my love with him, with his word and with his bride. Listen to that statement again. I have to grow in my love with him, with his word and with his what? Bride. Who's the bride of Christ? The church. The church not being a building, the church being the people. And when I love God and I love his church, then as a direct correlation, as I grow in God's word, I love my wife more and I love to serve her and care for her. Why? Because that's a direct reflection of Christ and the church. That's exactly what he wants to call us to, a deep, intimate relationship with the bride. Let's pray. Father, we know, I know that there are are, are tough times, there are obstacles we all face, there are difficulties and struggles. I know that this can be an obscure passage, especially when you get into all the the sons that are going to be born by the different women later on and how you work. But God, I thank you for the fact that you work in the lives of sinful people, sinful men and sinful women who needed a Savior, who needed Jesus to die on the cross so we could be made righteous, right, holy, and justified in your eyes. And so God, I pray for the marriages here today. I pray that you would work greatly, that we could look deep down inside. We don't look at our spouse, but we look at ourselves, And we ask the question, what do I need to do? What is it in my relationship with my wife that I need to work on so that I can reflect the love that God has for her and for me in it? It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're gonna close with the song and here's what I wanna do. If you have anything that you wanna pray about, I'll be up here. At the end, I'm gonna be back there.
If you want to talk to me more about a relationship with Christ, you want to talk about your marriage, you want to just have somebody pray with you, I would love to pray with you. But we're going to close with a song. It'll be dismissed. Would you stand?